All right, welcome back to the Celtics Lab podcast. I'm your host for today, Cameron Teptabai. I'm joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. It is July. The Celtics have made some pretty big moves, and we've got all sorts of stuff to talk about. And to do exactly that, we bring in Jared Dubin of 538 and CBS. Jared, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you guys? Doing okay, thanks. I just got stateside, and there's a lot of basketball to talk about, so I am pumped. Alex, Justin, thank you for holding down the fort. Anything I missed? Uh, not much. I hope that your jump shot is better than it was before you left. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to a shot doctor in Copenhagen. I sh- should be better. <laughs> really encouraging me to play pickup after this, Alex. That's right. right. <laughs> so, Jared, we brought you in. Yes, we're going to talk about um, Gallinari and Brogdon. We're going to talk about Summer League and what might happen with Kevin Durant. But just as a content warning to some fans who aren't down with the cause, we are, we're also going to talk about kind of the intersection of sports culture and politics at the end of this podcast. So I know that some folks just want to talk about sports, which is kind of something we can talk about writ large. Um, so for those folks who saw this in the headline, that's at the end, we'll give you a warning for you to cut bait, but hopefully you stick around because that should be some good stuff. All right, uh, Jared, let's start with the news that's, you know, has the NBA just alight with takes and, and everything. It's that the Celtics signed Sam Hauser to a three-year, $6 million deal. <laughs> the first two seasons are guaranteed. Um, evidently, the Celtics think he could really crack into the rotation. So, Jared, any takes on Sam Hauser re-upping with the Celtics? Great signing. Love it. <laughs> um, Alex, Justin, anything? I know, Alex, you're pretty bummed about this. I like Sam Hauser. I think he showed some flashes in garbage time and in the G League last year. His shot is really good. Um, he definitely needs to learn how to move his feet at an NBA level. And until he does that, he's probably not going to have any meaningful role in the rotation. But I think it's a perfectly reasonable, low risk, high reward, upside gamble to see what he can do. And hey, maybe he cracks the rotation. Who knows? I don't really have anything to add to that. I mean, I, yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, you know, Peyton Pritchard, I think, played above expectation, um, but it's nice to have an undersized shooter in the in the two-guard spot in reserve, I suppose. Um, maybe this marks the end of the Celtics offseason moves, save two things. So first, Jared, I'm going to ask you, Boston still has that $17 million Fournier TPE. Uh, from your estimation, that may be a little less biased than we are. Do you think the, the Celtics even need to worry about using that? Um, and do you expect them to? I don't think they necessarily need to worry about using it. You know, they've made their two, I would imagine, significant moves in signing Gallo or when they will sign Gallo as soon as he's bought out, whenever all that is done, and then trading for Malcolm Brogdon. I think that those are probably all they quote unquote need. You know, you can always get better. Um, I don't imagine that they'll use the entire $17.5 million trade exception. Maybe they could take in somebody. I think they would have to use it by tomorrow if i'm remembering correctly because it's got to be a year to the day from the fournier seventeenth, i think is the expiration date on it oh so they didn't uh actually execute that until later in the summer then last year i guess because of the way the knicks used their cap space i guess but i, I don't even know what the target would be at this point mm-hmm. maybe you want another big man but that's it, it's not like whoever you get for that role is going to play a lot so you're not talking about using that much of the trade exception. Um, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. I know before they made the Brogdon deal, people were talking like maybe Luke Kennard, something like that, after the Clippers brought in John Wall. 
Um, I, I don't see them using a ton of it. Maybe they make a smaller deal to bring in, uh, you know, $5 million big man, something along those lines, maybe a little bit more than they could pay with one of the exceptions. Um, but uh, it's, it's not a need, I would say necessarily. Yeah, and continuing that, Justin, I, yeah, I wanted to go to you. Do you think that just from like a PR standpoint, there's as much pressure to use it? I don't really think there is. I think there's a pretty broad consensus that they've done enough, that, that, that really that the, the Brogdon deal was enough of a coup. Uh, even if he ends up, you know, missing a quarter of the season, as he seems to do, that they don't really need <laughs> to worry about that sort of a thing. And they do have two other fairly substantial, kind of the right size uh, trade exception that they could take someone into as well. So at this point, I think, you know, we discussed this a little bit privately. I think maybe there could be, if someone's desperate enough, an asset play if they really want to make it worth what they're going to end up paying in tax on signing this guy. But other than that, I'm not expecting it to get used. Yeah, I think it's basically that. The only situation where it would be used for a player that doesn't kind of fit the description that we've just talked about, a like $5 million kind of utility big, um, would be if an earth-shattering trade has to happen over the course of the next like three or four days. And that trade can only work if the Celtics exist as a salary dump trade uh, team for uh, as a third team in that trade. And that becomes incredibly complicated when you consider that in all likelihood, the teams that would be involved in such an earth shattering trade probably don't want to do Boston any favors. So I would bet it probably doesn't get used at this point. There are other more ready-made salary dumping grounds available to like Indiana can clearly take on some salary at this point and would probably have to be compensated less than the Celtics would for, you know, their tax payments that they would incur. Yeah. My point of view is that it would be nice to have a $15 million salary on the roster in case an interesting trade pops up down the line, but realistically, and we'll get through this uh, to this a little bit. I don't really know where a $15 million player fits anymore other than maybe like a Derek favors type, uh, the Celtics are kind of bursting at the seams and that's a little bit of an embarrassment of riches. So I suspect that we're right about this, that the TPE A will expire and B Brad Stevens and company did what they needed to. So it's not kind of a big hit the way it might've been last summer. All right. Uh, we will we're kind of sh shelve some extensions that haven't yet really gone through for people like Grant Williams, uh, the Jalen Brown extension perhaps looms large, although maybe not. So we'll shelve that unless, Jared, any immediate thoughts when I raise that? Uh, just on Jalen Brown, um, if they extend him, he obviously can't be included in a potential Kevin Durant trade. Um, mm -hmm. So that's something to watch out for. Sure. And or, I mean, same with Grant Williams, but Jalen would be the guy, you know, likely to go, I would imagine. Not that I think it's a great chance of that happening, but. I would imagine he'd be the centerpiece guy. So that's something to watch out for. Well, actually now we're, I was going to talk about Durant in a little bit, but let's do it right now. If you're the Celtics and the Nets call and say, we'll do Durant and Jalen basically straight up. What do you say? If you're the Celtics. Uh, yes. <laughs> wow. Um, I think Justin. I, I, I love Jalen Brown, but I mean, he's nowhere near as good. Kevin a lot better. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> but he's also 34 years old and he also carries his own, you know, unique history with him. And I think those two things together are off-putting enough for me that I would pass. It's interesting. Uh, last time we talked about it, Jared, I said I was flirting with 
being on the side of making the trade. So it's nice to have an ally on the pod. Um, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen, but I do think that the the question really does come down to, is it, it's, it's not just Jalen Brown. Cause if it's just a Jalen right. Brown straight up for Kevin Durant trade, then you probably have to do that. Right. It's who it's Jalen Brown plus who else. And if the answer to that question is Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, you know, key pieces to the Celtics playoff run, then you probably can't do that just based on how much I, success I, they have. That's why I don't think it's going to happen. Because um, yeah. the Nets would obviously ask for picks too. So yeah. now you're talking about not just Jalen Brown, but rotation players, important rotation players on top of that, plus draft capital. And it's like at a certain point, you already won the East last year, just got better. Like, why are you giving up all that? Yeah, fair. I mean, it's fun to daydream. It's fun to put in the trade machine. I said the other day, actually getting to put Kevin Durant in the trade machine is like the peak of NBA fandom. Um, but you're probably right about how big the the asset pool would be. Although I suspect the Nets aren't running, getting great offers if a deal hasn't gone through. So I don't know. We're, we'll come back to that in a moment. Let's talk about the things that um, did in fact happen for the Celtics. Let's give out some quick little grades. Nothing too long-winded here, but uh, I'm going to run through some of the moves that the Celtics made and we can give our take on them. So Gallinari um, ended up with, where did he end up? Uh, wow, why can't I remember where he technically ended up? Um, with the Spurs and then was bought out, right? Uh, he got traded to the Spurs, yeah. Or traded to the Spurs. Will be bought out, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure if they've officially done that yet. Okay, so in theory, bought out. In theory, coming to the Celtics on a uh, two year, $6.5 million deal with a player option. And the second year, Jared, uh, give it a grade for the Celtics. Uh, B plus. I really like it for them uh, in terms of it gives them another option off the bench for A, shooting, and B, someone where he can run in the pick and roll as a ball handler or a screener, um, which he's worked pretty well as. Another guy who, you know, if you get a small switched onto him, he could bully him a little bit in the post or in isolation. He's a great free throw shooter, which, uh, you know, we saw the Celtics struggle, obviously, from the line in the playoffs so i really like that for them the issue is he is really losing it on defense he was you know mm-hmm. at his peak was you know a fine defender maybe a slight positive these days he's a pretty significant negative and that leads me to believe he won't necessarily be a high minute guy as you get deeper into the playoffs but it's valuable to have you know another shooter another like size guy who you know, you can switch him if you need to. And I think that they have enough good defenders to cover up for his weaknesses in the regular season and early playoff rounds. So it's it's a good signing and I think it'll do well for them. It's just not like an A plus kind of signing where, you know, this guy is perfect. He's gonna be on the floor in crunch time in the finals if they get back there. Sure. And most mid level exception guys aren't. Right. Um, Alex, give it a quick grade. Yeah, I think it's a B for largely the same reasons. I do think that um, Gallo's defensive limitations are going to be pretty significant. And one of the reasons that you want to sign Gallo is ideally to take some pressure off of Al Horford and Jason Tatum to play heavy minutes over the course of the regular season. I am a little concerned that with Gallo's defensive limitations being what they are, um, I'm, I'm not sure that that necessarily pans out the way that I think uh, myself and many other Celtics fans would like it to pan out, but we'll see. 
Um, the reason I give it a B and not a B plus is because I do think there were a few other guys that I was looking at that I was kind of hoping the Celtics would throw their hat in the ring for um, that I would have liked maybe a little bit more than Gallo. But listen, ultimately, the Celtics' big problem and the reason that they lost the finals last year is because their offense got stagnant whenever they went to their bench. Gallo solves that problem. He is a one-man offensive show kind of unto himself. And even as he's starting to decline in his advanced years, um, he can still get a bucket basically whenever. So I'm I'm perfectly happy with it. Dr. Quinn? I mean, I graded the, the signing a B on Celtics Wire for all of these reasons. I know it's incredibly riveting podcasting, but uh, I'm not sure what there is to add. So, yeah. Um, I'll give it as a fan, I'll give it an A because Gallinari, he's kind of got a little gravel in his eye or gravel in his gut, spit in his eye. Um, in the same way that Fournier was kind of the emotional pulse of that Celtics team. I don't, I'm not going to be that guy that says the Celtics need to get tougher, but Gallinari's kind of spicy in that way. And there's been a lot of content of him walking the North end and I'm looking forward to it. So a plus for the Italian stallion, um, but not on the court, obviously that's much, much closer to a B. Okay, other big deal we can talk about the grade four is the Malcolm Brogdon trade, which um, no major rotation pieces. Obviously, Neesmith and Daniel Tice are fan favorites, but not a huge deal. Um, some back-end guys and a pick with a protection, might I add. So, Jared, give us a grade on bringing in Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, it's somewhere between an A and an A+. Like, <laughs> it's basically a perfect fit in terms of what they needed for another player in their guard group. He can play on and off the ball. He could defend pretty much any guard in the league and some wings as well because he's got that size and strength. He's like 6'4", 6'5", 215, 220, somewhere in that range. Um, he's a bit calmer than Marcus Smart, you know, not that uh, there are many guards that aren't, but, you know, he's a guy who, like, is a very – adult on the floor type of player who can get them settled down, maybe handle some of those turnover issues that popped up in the playoffs. He's another guy who's a really, really good free throw shooter, like one of the best free throw shooters in the history of the league, if I'm remembering correctly, like 90 plus percent kind of guy. So that's another thing that works well for them. Obviously comes with the injury issues, but the cost is such that like, I don't know, sit him for the first third of the season. If you want to keep him healthy, like he never has to play back to backs. He doesn't have to play. 25, 30 minutes a night, like, is he going to come off the bench? I think he's a good fit with Derek White because they're sort of similar players where Brogdon's just, like, a little bit bigger. Like, it's a home run to me. Like, I can't find anything wrong with it. Dr. Quinn, go. The only thing I can find wrong with that I already mentioned, I mean, he's going to miss time. question is, how much is it going to be something that really detracts from what he is able to do when he is around? I mean, unless unless – uh, Steve Bopet had a, had a piece today that made me a little bit concerned that there were some red flags about his knees that some people thought that he might be a real risk because of that. And that's got me a little bit nervous. I don't know how serious that is, uh, but at least from the, the surface level of things, I'm equally grading this an A. I, I don't see how you could do anything less without some kind of additional information to make you worry more. Yeah, it's an A for me as well. And, you know, I think there are serious concerns about Malcolm Brogdon's health. There have been for some time. He doesn't really, you know, he hasn't established that he can play a full um, regular season for some time yet. Um, but in terms of his fit on the floor, he really does solve pretty much all of the issues that the Celtics were looking for uh, without compromising them on the defensive end where he's established himself as a really strong defender. Um, I think that he 
like in a vacuum fits exactly what this team is trying to do and will take some pressure off of Marcus Smart, who spends a lot a fair share of the season himself kind of banged up with just the way that he plays. So it's good to have him on the team, even if Malcolm Brogdon ultimately doesn't see the floor as much as we would like. And he kind of falls short of what I think the Celtics and himself are kind of hoping for. He is also an extremely tradable salary uh, with the contract that he's at and a very like quality piece that I think would attract interest um, in really any sort of consolidation trade. So I think for me, it's a home run, especially considering what the Celtics gave up, you know, much love to Aaron Nesmith and Daniel Tice. They played their roles, but um, I think it's a pretty clear and obvious upgrade over both those guys. The injury concerns are real and were a real concern, you know, before he even came into the league, which was why he slipped to the second round and then why the Bucks didn't want to give him a second contract a few years ago. And then why he basically sat on the market for free for the last three weeks with the Pacers trying to trade him. But the cost is such for Boston that even if he's out for the whole season, the gamble to me was worth it. Like they just didn't really give up much. Like neither Tice nor Neesmith was going to be an important rotation player for them this year. Like they got through most of last season without Tice uh, with, you know, Neesmith not really doing uh, much of anything for them as high as the hopes were for him when he was drafted. He just hasn't really turned out to be what they want him to be. And then the pick they gave up, like in all likelihood, it's a bottom six or seven pick in the first round. And they protected themselves in case disaster happens where Mm -hmm. they somehow wind up in the lottery. Like I know, I know it's top 12 and not top 14, but you know, to even get that protection on it. I mean, they just didn't really give up much here. So to me, the injury risk is not like even considering their injury risk, it's just such a good deal for them. Yeah. And I, I would just, Add, I think it's an A, if only because it, it really helps solidify the Spurs East thing that I've been looking for. Um, Celtics are like truly eight to 10 deep, guys who can pass the ball, guys who can switch on defense. Um, so even if one or two people are, you know, on the pine with an injury, next man up. So I love it. Um, <laughs> welcome to the squad, Malcolm Brogdon. All right, we already established the Hauser deal is big fat A. Um, and Alex, give us 30 seconds on the Luke Cornett deal. That's a two-year vet deal, partial guarantee. A plus plus, baby. We got him back, my man, Luke Cornett. Um, I mean, listen, the Celtics need more big depth. Luke Cornett seems to be Jason Tatum's friend, and they're not paying a whole lot of money for it. So as long as we're keeping Luke in the family, I'm thrilled. Tremendous. All right, let's talk about some more off-season stuff. Let's talk about Vegas Summer League, and then we're going to talk about some off-the-court stuff. But first, let's pause the action to talk about our friends at betonline.ag. Betonline.ag is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest odds, news, and developments from the world of sports, including all your MLB action, the latest fighting news, or even next season's early NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting, playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device and you can use our promo code CLNS50 when you sign up to receive a 50% welcome bonus. Just use our promo code CLNS50. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay, a few more off-season stuff for the Celtics. Jared, if the Celtics have something that needs to be addressed on the roster, what type of player or what position do you think they need to highlight? Um, I mean, I think it's probably big man depth, just, you know, the, the age and injury risk between Horford and 
Robert Williams. Um, if one of them goes down, then you might have a little bit of a concern there in terms of, you know, the third center. Um, that would probably be it. I, I don't know that you want uh, Grant Williams being your backup center. Yeah, uh, with, with respect to Grant Williams, you're probably right about that. Alex or Justin, uh, I think we are in agreement that that's really all that's left for the Celtics, but any sort of player that um, maybe the Celtics take a flyer on? Yeah, I think there's a couple of different ways that they could look. It's definitely backup big. That is the priority. They need somebody to fill those Daniel Tice minutes. Um, but, you know, there's so there's some candidates that have unfortunately left the market. Georgie Dang was one that I had my eye on who is signed now with the Spurs. Um, Thomas Bryant has been rumored for a little bit. I think he could be a fun high upside play. Uh, remains to be seen. Of course, he still, I think, is waiting for news regarding, you know, the trade that's kind of holding everything in the league in a holding pattern for right now before he formally signs with another team. A couple of guys that I would consider looking at include DeMarcus Cousins, who had a nice little stretch with Denver last year. Um, obviously he's not nearly the player that he used to be, but he can still provide some punch on the offensive end and can still get rebounds, which I think would be the priority for this person is you want somebody who can clean up the boards and not be a total sieve on defense. And admittedly cousins hasn't been great on defense for a while, but he can still just be big and in the way I think. And then uh, the other guy that I was thinking about, and this person would have to become uh, available via trade, but given kind of what's going on with the team that they're on, that's not out of the realm of possibility is Mason Plumley, who mm. I think could come in and provide some uh, passing. He's actually kind of a crafty mid-range scorer as well. He brings a lot of energy off of the bench and he's actually not a horrible defender either. He can definitely get bullied, which I think they, they would still run into the problem that they had with Tice in some respects, but I think that's a kind of guy that you could see the Celtics make an offer for, especially if he's coming cheap. Dr. Corn, anything we missed? Not really. I'm really curious to see if, uh, I think his name's Trevlin Williams. He's the guy who's uh, the unsigned guy that just picked up Trevane Trevlin. I'm sorry I'm murdering the name. Uh, I was watching him uh, in the little snippets we were seeing of the summer league uh, practice from the Celtics facility where Johan Beggering basically just bounced off of him and I don't think he's obviously not going to be like a high enough level player to play real heavy minutes but I do think that he could you know make make the roster and maybe maybe if you squint real hard you might be able to get to the trade deadline and find somebody a little bit more apt uh, between him and Luke Cornette but that remains to be seen. Fair enough. So speaking of summer league the Celtics announced that Ben Sullivan is going to coach the team. Um, the full roster has been announced and it's got some fun, exciting people, but I don't think that the Celtics are the headlines of Vegas Summer League. Jared, I'm going to ask you, uh, as an NBA fan in the world, what team's Summer League are you most excited for? Um, I guess it's like the teams that are sending basically their real team to Vegas. <laughs> like, you know, like Houston, Orlando, OKC, Detroit, those guys. Like, I want to see, you know, the guys that were the top picks in the draft. I want to see Ben Carroll, Holmgren, uh, Jabari Smith, Jaden Ivey, those guys now uh, you know, are the top picks. So I'll go with them. It's definitely not the Knicks. Um, I think people probably know I'm a Knicks fan, but yeah. You want to give us 30 seconds on the state of the Knicks? They, um, 
they're better than they've been for most of my adult life. Wow. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, historically, that's <laughs> surely that's a thing, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not a hard thing to be considering how bad they've been for most of my adult life. No, I, I like Jalen Brunson. I don't even think that the deal they got for him is that bad. Um, they're just, the roster is not really set up to put him in position to succeed because they're mm-hmm. building a roster for a coach who wants to play like it's like 1992. Um, and they have three wings on the whole team. Like we just saw how important wings are and their only wings are RJ Barrett, Evan Fournier, and Quentin Grimes. Uh, everybody else is like either 6'2 or 6'10. So they're trying to get rid of two of those wings. Um, So I'll close the book in Vegas by saying uh, I'll be there for a little bit. So make sure you're following along on Twitter and everything else. Um, But sticking with moves made in the East, uh, Jared, who do you think had the best offseason in the East? And looking ahead, who who are the early favorites? Uh, Yeah, I think the Celtics had the best offseason in the East. Um, and I think that them and the books. Oh, players. stop. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I'm not just saying that because I'm on this podcast. Like, you can find I got something going up, or I guess the Celtics aren't addressed tomorrow. Um, they're addressed in the thing that's going up on Thursday. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. Like, they won the East last year, added two pieces that fit really well for very little cost. Like, I don't know that there's an argument for another Eastern Conference team. All right. Um, I'll make an, an argument for another Eastern Conference team. Um, I'd say that the Bucks have to be right there. Uh, I don't think that they got better this offseason, but I do think that the Giannis, Middleton, and Holiday trio, when healthy, deserves our respect. We haven't seen data to suggest they've taken a step back. So uh, I like what I you meant, said. Uh, I meant argument for best offseason. Like, I think the oh, sure, sure, sure. Right there, obviously, in terms of the favorites for the East. Um, any other, I mean, early July, any other teams that you'd put in that upper echelon? Not with those two. Like, I think they're a pretty clear cut above the other teams. Um, I don't, like, I just don't think the Sixers were in that class. And I don't know that adding P.J. Tucker and Daniel House gets them in there just yet. Mm-hmm. But that was, like, that was obviously a very good uh, couple of signings for them. Sure. Yeah, I do think that the Sixers have had a really good off season. I like DeAnthony Melton a lot for this team. Actually, I think that um, he he fits a lot of what they're trying to do in terms of pushing the pace a little bit and kind of making an offense that plays to James Harden's strengths a little bit more. I think that's been kind of the clear goal of the Sixers offseason is try and create a team that maximizes James Harden's strengths and bank on the fact that Embiid is just going to kind of keep going at an MVP level. Um, there's also, I think, more moves that are coming for them. There's some indication, and I don't know how much we believe this, but Instagram seems to think that Reggie Bullock is going to be a Philadelphia 76er awfully soon. Uh, and Reggie Bullock might even seem to think that himself. So I, I don't think they're done. And I think they're they're positioning themselves to be knocking on the door of that top tier. But I largely agree right now, the Bucks and the Celtics have to be the clear favorites in the East and uh, maybe Miami or Toronto or Philly can crack that depending on some of the moves that they make. Philly's, I think, closer than those other two teams as it stands right now, but um, it's pretty clear that there's a there's a top two heading into this season. We'll see how it shakes out. 
I think the Hawks might be kind of interesting if they make some more moves too. They kind of seem confusing right now. I'm really curious to see how this two guard backcourt works out uh, with with Trey and uh, Dejounte Murray. But I guess we're gonna find out. So yeah. I'm curious how Billy uh, would be getting Reggie Bullock. Um, maybe like Cortlaz and Thibault or something along those lines. Yeah. That doesn't save Dallas much money, if that's what their concern is. Um, I'm curious to see what that deal is if it does happen. Again, nothing confirmed. It's just that Reggie Bullock has been posting on Instagram to the effect of, you should expect me to be a Philadelphia 76er next year. But who knows? That's interesting. <laughs> I mean, that would certainly go a long way toward, like you said, uh, building that team for James Harden's success. Like, Bible can't be on the court in the playoffs, basically. Like adding, you know, Bullock, Melton, Tucker, and Daniel House, that would make them a lot more flexible than they were last year. It would help make up for, you know, the loss of Danny Green and the shooting that they're not going to have this year. Um, I would really like that for them. They would. That, I think that if they also added Bullock, that would put them pretty close to a being in the same tier with Boston and Milwaukee, and b having a, a better offseason. Than Boston, just in terms of being able to maneuver it themselves. Not that it would make Boston's offseason worse, but they would put them, uh, you know, right in that same boat. I think. So all all of this has an asterisk because the dust is far from settled in the East, um, and obviously I'm talking about Kevin Durant and to some extent Kyrie Irving. So, Jared, let me ask you this: There are some teams that there's been a lot of noise about Durant, uh, namely the Suns. Um, what's your favorite dark horse Kevin Durant team? Memphis. Yes, yes. Tell me more. I love that. Um, I mean, I think that they can make a good deal for him, you know, like if you center yeah. it around Jaron Jackson, um, I would try, like for me, I would try to keep Desmond Bain out of it. I don't know if you'd be able to, but like Jaron Jackson, Dylan Brooks, Zaire Williams, and you know, whatever picks you want to do, like, I don't think that's a, a bad deal for Brooklyn. Um, and I think it's a great deal for Memphis. Um, they would, they're already so much fun. You add KD and what he could do as an individual scorer and a shooter, like put, putting Moran on the same team <laughs> with Desmond Bain and KD, just in terms of the space he would have to operate, would really be pretty unfair. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's the team for me. Love it. Uh, and then if you were thinking with your head and not your heart, where does he end up? Although I'm Memphis is pretty reasonable. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm still going to say Phoenix and they figure out some sort of, you know, other destination for DeAndre Ayton or Ben Simmons, whichever of the two they decide um, that they're going to want. Not that Sim Simmons and Ayton can be on the same team. They're not limited by the uh, the Rose Rule stuff, but they are limited by the hard cap. And if they're going to take back Russ in a Kyrie deal, that's adding $11 million to their salary cap. Maybe they can send out Joe Harris in that deal. It seems like, you know, his ankle may just be messed up beyond belief, but the the whole mechanics of it gets really confusing. And, you know, there's been some DeAndre Ayton to, you know, Indiana or Utah smoke going mm -hmm. around over these last few days. Maybe they wind up turning it into a three-team, four-team deal, something along those lines. So I'm still going to say that it figures out with Phoenix. It just may take a while. And I think that that's more of the reason why things haven't happened yet, as opposed to, like, the Nets aren't getting any good offers for Kevin Durant. Like, teams are yeah. 
they, I would guess they have at least 30 offers or I guess 29 offers. Um, I'm going to Alex. say that two of those would be dismissed out of hand uh, in New York and Golden State, but the other 27 teams probably at least in on it to some level. I'm not, I, I've heard that as well. I'm not wholesale ready to say no to Golden State, although I can understand why uh, a lot of people would not like to see that happen. Um, Alex or Justin, you got any dark horse Kevin Durant teams? You know mine's the Pelicans. Yeah. Mine too, got- damn it. <laughs> another, I'll think of another one while Alex talks. All right. Um, I have the, the entire internet's uh, dark horse team is the Pelicans. Yeah. That's okay. I, I stand by it. Not I have dark. a dark horse. <laughs> All right. I, I have a dark horse team for the Kevin Durant sweepstakes. Uh, it's one that I don't think a lot of people are talking about, but uh, I'm going to throw it out there anyway. The Brooklyn Nets. Why do they have to trade this guy? He's under contract for another four years. I, I guess I just, I, it's one of the weirdest stories in NBA recent offseason that I can think of. A guy asking out with four years left on his deal. Arguably, I, I don't actually, I'm going to say inarguably, Kevin Durant is one of the three best players in the NBA. And I think that's a pretty clear cut statement. And I guess I just don't really see like, Brooklyn is not going to get a package that will ever replicate the value of Kevin Durant. That's just not going to happen. He's Kevin Durant. He's that good. There's any combination of players that you could trade for, any combination of draft picks that you could trade for. None of them are going to bring you closer to winning a title than Kevin Durant, unless you're trading him straight up for Giannis Antetokounmpo, which is not going to happen. Um, And if that's the case, if I'm Josiah and Sean Marks, I would be saying, Actually, Kevin, we appreciate the trade request. We're going to just build the team out around you and maybe not trade you because you have four years left on your contract and we don't think you're going to sit out for four years. It just, it seems crazy to me. Fair enough. I mean, that's kind of been the buzz today. Dr. Quinn, you come up with a team? Uh, There's a really massive thunderstorm here, which is uh, not making it easy to think about cap stuff. I imagine maybe the Clippers could work. I know that Toronto has been the big sexy pick that everyone's been talking about in the last day or so. But uh, honestly, I I really would love to see what would happen just for the state of people's stomachs in the NBA. Excuse the thunder. Wow, Um, that was a good one. Yeah, no, seriously. Of uh, what would happen if somebody the stature of KD ends up holding out uh, against with a four-year remainder. That would just be an absolute, you know, players union nightmare, everyone nightmare. Uh, but I'd be very entertained. I can't believe you didn't just say the Oklahoma City Thunder. You're like being bombarded with thunder. <laughs> True. All right. Uh, it was a good enough It was a good enough segue for what we wanted to talk about. Um, so for folks who don't like to talk about politics or culture and sports, whatever, thanks for listening. Like and subscribe if you haven't. We'll catch you later. Um, But Jared, we did bring you in to talk about uh, what I'm going to summarize it as the state of stick to sports or lack thereof. Um, Obviously, the news is relentless in the United States and around the world. um, And a lot of these issues really cut close to home for NBA players. Um, So whether it's another police shooting in Akron, whether it's Brittany Griner, one of the most visible female athletes in American sports, being detained in Russia, whether it's on and on and on. Um, we want to talk about kind of the state of shut up and dribble or lack thereof, because in the NBA and the WNBA, that really hasn't been uh, 
the assumed culture, but um, I don't know, I have questions about that. So Jared, that's why you're here. And my first question to you is exactly that, that I think the MBA transcended stick to sports and kind of became the safe place where you could tweet, you could do slogans, you could do t-shirts and that advocacy uh, was done in a digestible way. So Jared, what do you think is the state of advocacy in the MBA and what would pushing that envelope look like? Um, I think it's kind of acceptable advocacy is what I would say is sort of the state is like it's it's you know advocacy for everyone advocacy that tries not to offend anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of the state of advocacy in corporate America in general. So I don't know that the NBA is different from you know any other sports league. You know, with the exception mm-hmm. of maybe like the WNBA, which I sure. think is you know more. Um, not aggressive, aggressive isn't the right word, but more uh, open, I guess, about its advocacy and the, the fort, not the fortitude, like the strength of its stances. Yeah, the integrity behind it. Not, yeah, not just the players, but, you know, the, the league as a whole, which is interesting. Obviously, it's, you know, it's a sister league to the NBA, but, um, you know, obviously players have, you know, as big a platform as they want to have to be able to push forward the causes that they believe in and they've done you know, could work on, on some of those causes and like, do I think that players could be more openly supportive of certain issues? Yeah. Um, so could I, so could everyone. Um, mm-hmm. And I think to a certain extent that we all owe it to each other to be as open as we can without, you know, negatively affecting either the cause that you're trying to impact or, you know, your personal well-being. Um, and I certainly try to do that. Um, I think that the, there's a lot really bad going on in the world right now. And like, I could just say that everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about. There's people being shot and killed every day and police shootings, mass shootings, all different kinds of shootings. You know, women have lost the right to control their own bodies. Um, you know, and that's, you know, just in the last two weeks or so. And that's like just the yeah. two worst things. That are happening you know there's plenty of other stuff that is happening that's bad and getting worse and for me it's just it's a lot to deal with um and i try to do what i can you know like my skill set in the world is as a, a writer and communicator so i try to put that to use however i can i try to donate money when i can i try to you know i try to do what i can like i said it's you know for me i think that not just me, but I think we all owe it to each other to remember that we're here together and try to make the world better for everybody else. So that's what I'm trying to do. So Jared, I I don't know if you know this, that uh, Alex and I are both high school teachers by day, high school history teachers. So I will will lean on that and I will say that this isn't a we didn't start the fire kind of situation that actually the past few weeks have been dramatically different than most moments in American history that um, the, the past few weeks have been real inflection points. Um, so for you and for anyone who is feeling like this is particularly relentless, I would just hazard that what happened with Roe, what's happening with these shootings, um, what's happening with uh, Russia and Ukraine and a shadow war with the United States and all of that is very different. Um, so, and Jared, let me ask you this, just uh, as a journalist, not your relationship with your bosses, that's your own thing, but your relationship with your readers and your fans, um, 
when you do choose to be political, either in your writing or your social media, um, what do you see in kind of the environment that has been created and uh, how would you diagnose that? Um, I don't get too much negative feedback when I address things. Um, I think I'm very open about how I feel. So I think people know what to expect. And I've been very open about the reasons why I believe the things that I believe in. You know, I've been very open like about what I just said to you guys. Like, I think we all owe it to each other to make the world better for everybody else and to keep everybody else in mind when we move through life. And that it shouldn't just be about ourselves and I want this so I can do this. And, you know, for lack of a better term, like, because fuck you, that's why. Mm -hmm. That's just not the way I think people should move through life. So I think people know that if they're coming, you know, to my social media or whatever else. Um, and I think that people that are reading me know that I take that stance in my personal life. I follow it in my personal life. Um, and it's not just, I'm not just saying things to say things. Like, I literally have, like, what do we owe to each other tattooed on my body. Like, mm -hmm. That's just what I think. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't get too much negative feedback. There is on occasion. But, and there are people that are like, you know, I come to you for basketball or for football or whatever. And to me, the people that say they don't want politics in sports are being disingenuous because they don't not want politics in sports. They don't want politics that they disagree with in sports. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, like, I don't particularly want politics I disagree with in sports either, but, you know, <laughs> the people that tend to be most vocal about, you know, not wanting politics, they seem to have no problem with, you know, for example, like promoting the military at every game, the right. Department of Defense gets its funding through the budget reconciliation process. There is almost nothing more political than that hmm. process, you know? Right. So, you know, when we can, you know, say we're going to stand and honor America and honor the people that serve the country, I, I think we should honor the people that serve the country. Maybe not necessarily at sporting events. I don't know what the fit is there, but people tend to have no problem with that. And that, again, is basically the most political process that exists in the United States of America, determining what parts of our government get funded with how much money. Um, but again, the, the, the no politics and sports people don't have a problem with that. So to me, what they actually have a problem with is things that they disagree with. And you know, everybody has a problem with things that they disagree with. I have a lot of problems with, with things that I disagree with, but I don't get to decide whether or not people can talk about them or whether or not they can be present in certain places. Yeah, I'm an anthropologist by training, even though, you know, I do this, I'm not a medical doctor for those of you who are new to the show. Uh, and honestly, everything is political. The things that you have the space to speak about or not is explicitly political. The policing, mm -hmm. whether it is done by official league policy, whether it is done by you, the, the reader, the listener in the audience saying, I don't want to hear this in this space, it's political. And it prevents the discussion, that prevents the organizing, that prevents the change that you don't want to hear, participate in, be aware of whatever it is. So everything is political. Yeah, and I think that the pageantry at sporting games for is a really interesting use case because I think for a generation and a half, it, it has been the expectation and the norm, but the history of 
the national anthem, the history of the flyovers, things like that at sporting events is relatively new. Um, so Jared, I largely agree that people just don't want politics that they disagree with, but I think it's more that there are certain expectations and assumptions that we have and that when a player speaks up or kneels down or says something, um, it subverts our kind of standard operating, no boat rocking. Um, and I think that that's kind of what's jarring for people is that I think a lot of people just kind of assume that like, oh, you go to sporting games, sporting games and there's Harrier jets and there's uh, big, big, big flags. Um, I remember I went to a Bruins game with a friend from Germany and they were super confused as to what was going on. Um, so I think part of when people are political in, in sports isn't necessarily that it's they disagree wholesale. I think it's they're on autopilot um, respectfully. And I think that some, certainly some, I mean, some people are <laughs> on the attack waiting for it. Um, but I think my, my larger point there was, I think that the expectation still is that sports is an apolitical neutral site and that injecting politics is a wrench in the machine, uh, not that it's always constantly political. And I think that changing that frame is important that you're engaging with human beings who engage with the culture and happen to play sports. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, that's an incomplete thought, but just the no, idea. It's, it's a good thought because it's, no. it's a privileged frame. It's a frame that belongs to people who have the privilege to not have to worry about their rights being yes. challenged. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, but it's, yeah, it's a privileged frame, but it's also not a realistic one because at the end of the day, it's, it's as you said, like obviously politics is in everything and affects everything. But in the case of sports, there's also literal significant political implications to how sports leagues are owned, operated, how labor works in sports leagues, mm -hmm. how public funding and taxpayer funding for arenas works in sports leagues. Obviously, like Brittany Griner being a visible political prisoner, that is a major political implication of sports. You can't divorce sports from politics in the same way that you can't divorce life from politics because sports leagues inherently operate in political landscapes all across the world. Like there's, it, 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 it's not only that it's privilege, it's that it flies in the face of kind of basic reason and common sense. Yes, sports leagues are political. Sports leagues involve 30 billionaires that own a bunch of <laughs> teams and assets that contribute to the economy and for entertainment and the purposes culture. and the culture around it. It's impossible. Like you can't, trying to separate the two is not only it's it's not only kind of uh privileged it's just like disingenuous and not really even intelligible in a lot of ways so yeah, let me hop I in there with all that I, I think also like ken you made the point that it just sort of jars people to see you know anything political happening in and around sports like i think it's supposed to like that's you know the yeah. entire purpose of making political statements is to jar people into you know being aware of something that maybe they weren't aware of or something else along those lines and you know it's you wouldn't go to an accountant's office and be like you're only supposed to do accounting you know and like it's 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 selfish of people to think that athletes or coaches or anybody else involved in sports should only be there to be like a sports robot for them mm -hmm. because that's what they want them to be. These are people just like us, you know, Steve Kerr has given, you know, a lot of different, you know, 
not, I don't want to say speeches, but he's, he's talked a lot, obviously, about gun violence in the country because he's, he's someone whose father was killed. Right. Like, he is the person who had that happen to him and believed certain things because of his life experiences and is able to articulate those, you know, because he's a, a smart person, but is also able to see those, have people see those things because of his position in the world. That's like what you're supposed to do as a person in the world is use your life experiences and speak to them and articulate your views in a way that you will maybe hope, you know, will reach some sort of people. And he's a person just like you at, you know, your job doing whatever it is. Nope. You wouldn't expect anybody to come to your job and tell you that you can only do that ever in the world. And that's the only thing you're allowed to have an opinion on. So there's no reason to expect the same of athletes, coaches, owners, writers, anybody else involved in sports, we're all here just like you are. And I would add to that something that's especially pernicious and uh, getting worse by the day because of uh, echo chambers on the internet is that politics feel more about uh, identity building than how to administer policy in a country. Um, and with respect to people who are quite political, including the people on this podcast, however much your politics are or are not a part of your identity, we need to extend that to players, to your point, Jared, that, you know what, players might have personality complexes tied to their politics, right or wrong. And even if they're loud wrong about it, they deserve the right to have that, as we all seem to in 2022. Um, and to that end, and Jared, I know we'll, we'll get you out of here quick. I know you got food waiting. Um, we're not going to name any names about any outlets who may or may not pay for some of our, our food waiting on our doorstep. But um I want to ask you about the state of both sides, quote unquote, in uh, journalism, sports journalism, um, and recently some pretty obvious and loud mandates for journalists to stay apolitical have come out. So again, we're not going to name names uh, unless you want to, um, but what does that mean to you as a journalist, as a sports fan, as a sports journalist, this kind of expectation that we are either apolitical or we cater to whatever both sides means? Uh, I would say that in trying to declare both sides as equivalent and equally morally righteous or correct, you are in fact taking a political side. Um, when there's asymmetric um, polarization and extremism and you pretend that both sides are equivalent, you are taking the side of the more extreme or polarized side. Um, and you can pretend that you're not, but that's what you're doing. You're being disingenuous. You're lying to your readers. I think it's lying to your readers when you tell um, your reporters or columnists or editors or whoever to pretend that they don't have political views. Everybody knows that people have political views. They may not, if they don't want to be open about them, that's their choice. But when you tell them to sanitize them or to, you know, only say, for example, like, I support whatever it is, abortion rights, I support gun control, but not say the reasons why those things are being taken away or can't happen or whatever it is, you're sanding down the reality of the world and you're lying to your readers or to your listeners or whatever it is. Um, and I just don't, I think that it shows a lack of respect for your readers to pretend that the people they're getting their news or their analysis from don't have opinions just like they do. Like, because I support a woman's right to have an abortion or because I support, 
you know, restrictions on the, the right to own guns or whatever it is I support, that doesn't affect my analysis of basketball or football. And I think that my readers are smart enough to figure that out. And if somebody is so um, it, it is so far gone in their beliefs that they think that because I think a certain thing about what people's rights are or should be or how the, the government should work, that they think that I can't intelligently analyze or report on basketball or football because of that, that's not necessarily a person who's going to learn a lot from reading my writing anyway. And I'm okay losing that person as a reader. Like there are people in media that I disagree with on politics, but I can still read their stuff and know that they know what they're talking about, irrespective of that. Like I have a respect for a person who disagrees with me politically. I think I can think that they're wrong and still have an understanding and appreciation for them as a person and for their work. Sure. Um, so Jared, we can't say thank you enough for, for doing this because this is a lot harder to talk about than work Kevin Durant might be treated to, even if we go blue in the face trying to figure it out. Um, so Jared Dubin, you cover the, the NFL for CBS for football fans, and you cover the NBA for all sorts of places, including 538. Um, so thanks for coming by, and you're welcome back anytime. Thanks for having me, guys. Happy to come back whenever you want to. Sure. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll catch you next time. Adios. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy. Available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.